Okay, Nigel. Um, I've got a question for you first, Shoot. though, before we start. And go. Um, what What is it that makes us the most human? Like, what do you think sets us apart from other creatures? Besides, that's, like, thumbs, because we yeah. have, like, opposable thumbs. Right. That's very important. Um, that's a really good question. If I would, if I would say it is our use of stuff. Yeah. We're tool makers, right? We make stuff, but then, um, we also throw that stuff out. So you could argue that trash is one of the things that makes us, makes us human. Right. Humans are trash producers. (laughs) From Some of us more than others. Some of us more than others. And so... Today on The Materialist... Episode 2. Episode 2, Dos, we are going to be discussing refuse. Garbage. Garbage. Trash. Trash. Loads of it. The bits and pieces of our everyday lives. Mm -hmm. Thrown out. Cast away. Yeah. Like so many used disposable baby diapers. (laughs) (laughs) There's truly nothing that archaeologists love more than garbage right when people like think about archaeology are they like you ever get someone ask like they'll ask you like what's the coolest thing you ever found yes isn't that like the every archaeologist when you ask an archaeologist that question like they want to die inside right 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 and it's you know they want they want to hear like you found a golden sword or you right, found yeah. you know a jewel encrusted something or other but Pirate it's like treasure or something. oh i found this amazing broken piece of ceramic one time that was just like, absolutely oh. amazing right but that's where the the real work of archaeology happens though it's not finding treasure we don't find like things yeah, like that we really don't, don't find where you know the work of archaeology is um, um, looking at people's garbage. CBS News. Materialist episode two. The second episode. The second episode. As same as last time. Uh, my name is Nigel <laughs> Rudolph. Uh, I am a public archaeology coordinator for the Florida Public Archaeology Network Central Region. So I'm um, Becky O'Sullivan. I am also the co-host of the Materialists, and I work for the Florida Public Archaeology Network at our West Central Region here in beautiful Tampa, where we are today. We are on the in, USF campus. Yeah, right now. go Bulls. Go Bulls. Yeah, so we're in my lovely office, which is coincidentally full of a lot of the stuff that we're going <laughs> to talk about today. I really need to clean up in here. It's, yeah, I don't know. You have a lovely mobile hanging that's full of. Um, yeah, beach finds. Yep, beach finds. Yeah, like sea glass um, and stuff. All, all related to the particular subject that we're going to be discussing today that is kind of at the root of so much of archaeology. But, yeah, true. Yeah. But first, Nigel. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, so, Nigel, did you ever watch, like, um, you know, like, CSI or, like, one of those, like, or NCIS oh, or, like, one of those crime God. shows or whatever? You know, and they've got, like, detectives and, like, investigators. Right. And trying to figure out what people are Sleuths. up to. Sleuths. yeah. They're trying to figure out what people are up to, like, for real, though. Right. You know, because you can talk to people and they'll, like, tell you one thing, but, like... People always have people something lie. else. <laughs> yeah. People have other stuff going on, right. right? But like detectives, when they're trying to figure out people's like real lives, they're always like going through their garbage, right? You know, got to find that like receipt from when they bought the like rope or the duct tape or whatever. And I heard a rumor that the second you put your garbage out on the street, it becomes public domain. Yeah, that's true. Is that true? Yeah, that is true. That's why, like, I love driving around and, like, picking up, like, old broken chairs and stuff. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. But that's a different podcast. A, yeah. We will be discussing broken that's, chairs in we'll our second podcast. We'll be discussing how much Becky loves going to <laughs> estate sales Recycled and picking up stuff on the side of the road in the a different podcast. Apartment. Maybe episode three. <laughs> yeah. Maybe episode three. <laughs> but there's a reason for that. Right. Um, and that's because, you know, your garbage doesn't lie. It's no. like, that's, like, the real evidence of, like what you're up to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even today um i was actually reading glancing at this book called rubbish the archaeology of garbage by william rothjee 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 and cullen murphy um and one thing that they write in there is quote what people have owned and thrown away can speak more eloquently informatively and truthfully about the lives they lead than they themselves ever may so what basically what he's saying is exactly what you just said right is the truth is in the objects yeah right um, and so I think that's super telling. And if you just those those listeners, if you think about all the things that you cast out every day and you um, completely disregard as you're throwing them in the garbage, um, if somebody were to go through your garbage, they could really learn a lot about a lot about you. Right. And what they would learn about me is I <laughs> am, uh, I seem to use a lot of paper towels for some reason. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Why. I like throw away paper towels Weird. all the time. So many paper towels. So, so strange. Um, yeah. And so that again is another podcast about the how paper towels the use of paper towels and toilet paper is destroying the forests <laughs> anyway but one thing that these two archaeologists realized is that they found that um humans consumed way less fruit and just their specific study at this this garbage dump they realized right, and this is a modern garbage dump. modern garbage this is dump, not right. like stuff from like a hundred years ago right. or a thousand years ago this is like Correct. People yeah. in like the seventies or whenever they yeah. were right did the study. Yeah, we're we're not talking prehistoric. We're talking modern garbage, modern landfill. Archaeologists digging in a modern land, landfill to understand, um, get 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 at these truths, right? And so they found that humans consumed a lot less fruit, a lot more junk food, and a lot more alcohol than they said they did, right? And so I think I think that really talks a lot about. Um, that when if somebody were to ask us, oh, how much alcohol do you actually consume? Right. Um, you know, are you going to be completely honest and forthright? Well, or are you going to try to? It's not even a question of like lying. It's just that yeah. like the story we have in our own heads of the person that we are and like the lies we lead is not yeah. always match up with no, the reality. No, it's true. It's true. Like, I like to think that I eat lots of vegetables. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> pretty healthy. But I guess if you look through the garbage, you'd find like. Way more like 
Doritos bags right. and like I eat candy wrappers and that sort right. of thing. Right. <laughs> and I think I mentioned in the in the last podcast how each one of those specific items that we find in these prehistoric landfills uh, can be broken down into very, very small increments to get um, even more information from these objects, right? right. Can we do that with looking at historic trash dumps oh, as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And my background is in historical archaeology, so like that's the kind of stuff I get like really jazzed about. But yeah, historic sites, there's so much more stuff because, right. you know, we figured out so many more uh, things to make and to, to throw away. And then as we go forward through time, we get we've gotten even better at making stuff that is disposable. <laughs> yeah, that lasts forever, right? Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, and I think there's so much of of prehistoric trash heaps that uh, have disappeared, right, that have uh, gone back to the earth or, um, you know, all the objects and all the tools and all the implements that were made out of wood, you know, the vast majority of those are gone. Those aren't, those aren't to be seen in the archaeological record. So what we're seeing is those objects that are made out of the durable materials. And now in the historic context, um, you know, you have things like plastic and even before plastic, you have glass in mm-hmm. like much different Pink types hands. of ceramic <laughs> material. Yeah. Right. And we were talking earlier about how um, these materials are piled so densely in our modern landfills that they never actually break down, even food yeah, objects. That's what this guy, Ratchi, like when they were doing work on these modern landfills, they found like hot dogs, like next to newspapers from like the 50s. So literally like food that was gross like hot dogs and like food that Delicious. was still not rotted because it was like compacted in these um these landfills that we're leaving behind for future archaeologists. Yeah. It's pretty gross. You're welcome, future archaeologists. You're welcome. Bring your mustard to the party. Nigel, why don't we expand a little on, um, you mentioned the word middens. Yeah. Why don't we expand a little bit on that? On what a midden is? Yeah, what is a midden? M-I-D-D-E-N. M-I-D-D-E-N. Not like mitten, but midden. A midden is a refuse pile. It's generated of all the things that people were were eating and using. So it's, you know, um, on Florida's Gulf Coast, it's largely made out of oyster shells, but then there's every other type of shellfish. Um, There's every other, every, every critter that they ate. We find the bones of those critters in that waste pile. There's broken pieces of ceramics. There's sometimes broken pieces of stone tools. Um, there's all this debris from their everyday life that was um, that they pile up, just like our modern landfills. And you see these these giant piles of garbage. Well, Native Americans did the same thing. Um, Native Americans would also then take that material um, and then shape it specifically to use as uh, foundations for structures and right. ceremonial centers. Et yeah. And so, yeah, like just like you were saying, you know, middens are really... Um, They're a record of these everyday moments and activities that that people were doing. There's so much more, so much more than garbage, right? (laughs) Right, right. And, and, you know, you think about oyster shells as a material. And if you don't look at like what it could tell us culturally is is, as a material, it's a a fantastic foundation, right, to build up. Um, And so what we've looked at 
um, some archaeologists have examined is how they, they would layer oysters and then sand, oysters, then sand, oysters, then sand. And so then the oyster shells are really locked into place. Mm-hmm. And so what I was saying is that sometimes they, they just have regular discard piles and then utilize that material later yeah. to form into these very specific uses, right? right? Yeah. And then, I mean, pre-contact native peoples are not the only ones who make middens, obviously, like on historic sites, European sites, colonial sites, we find middens mm-hmm. full of all the garbage and the stuff that those people, you know, were leaving behind. And even today, we're still creating middens. Um, here in Florida, it's like really flat. <laughs> and right. so a lot of times the only um, kind of topography or high points that we have in our communities are actually like the landfill. Tell so us like, about Mount Trashmore. I'm from South Florida, and so, yes, literally the only hill or high point that we have is the garbage dump, which is huge because there's, like, a lot of people that live in that area. And so we always called it Mount Trashmore. You can see at the Crystal Riverside example, for example, um, there's multiple Mount Trashmores, but they're Mount Trashmore material. Mount Trash, but even more because they're so important and um, they were made with a a lot of thought and intention by Native people. Yeah. Yeah. But if you think about it, long after all of our books and electronic records and everything are gone... Um, our landfills, that's what's going to be, gonna be there. left that yeah, archaeologists of the future future are going to look at to try to figure out what we were all about. And there's this whole field of archaeological study called garbology that's really investigating modern landfills and um, and looking at really specific things in those modern landfills and what, what that tells us about our, our recent past, very, very recent past. Um, and so, I mean, it's always fascinating to go to like a city dump I don't know. For some reason, my dad and I would go to the landfill often when I was a kid. I remember that. And um, I was just I was absolutely amazed by these places and driving up to this this hill on top of this large mountain. There's always that guy that's sitting there <laughs> in like a nasty old chair and like <laughs> telling people where to go dump their garbage. Um, but, I, you know, he's the guard of the midden, the modern midden. Nigel, maybe that's why you became an archaeologist. It could be. It could be, yeah. It had an impact. <laughs> it imprinted sweet. on your brain at a very like. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I enjoy. I actually that sounds very bizarre, but I do enjoy going to the landfill. Um, I think it's r- really interesting from a, a cultural perspective, from an oh, yeah. anthropological perspective. Oh yeah, Becky, definitely. I think looking so. at these huge trash heaps. That's where the real. Uh stuff of life like yeah. happens right like, stuff is a good word yeah. i don't have to beep out stuff yeah why don't we do our challenge okay because you know we established um in episode one that each uh for each episode we'll have a a challenge whether that's like a different artifact or site or something that fits in with our theme for the episode right so our challenge for this episode, I mean, it wasn't super challenging because it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was to bring in, bring in an item of garbage from our own homes. And I see you have your item of garbage um, yeah. right here on it's the right desk. Um, why don't you tell the listeners what you brought? Okay. I brought, um, it's a plastic bottle and it's, um, it's a plastic bottle 
of eggnog. It doesn't have eggnog in it anymore, and I did rinse it. Thank God. It seems very, um, just by the label on there, it's uh, very festive. It's very rich in cultural iconography. Yeah. And so it has a jolly... um, a, a jolly picture of Santa Claus on there, but the very traditional Santa Claus with the rosy cheeks, um, the red and white uh, costume, which was invented by Coca-Cola. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> it's all very um, it culturally is, specific. It has a lot to say about yeah. Um, our culture. Yeah. So if I kind of look at this um, as an archaeologist, if this was an artifact from some like ancient civilization, and I was trying to figure out what does this object tell me? Um, first, I'm going to look at what it's made of, right? Right. And it's plastic. And so our society today is ridiculously reliant on plastic. I think, like, in the future, we'll be, like, you know, there's, like, the Iron Age, Bronze Age, yeah. like, whatever. We'll be the plastic age. Yeah. How long is that going to last? I don't know. It's messing up everything. I know. <laughs> I know. You know we need I'm to like, figure out something else. Come up with something else. We need to go back to the Stone Age. I don't know. <laughs> but it's a plastic bottle. So that tells me something about when it's made. But then it does have the label on it, so I know what it was used for. And it's used for, like I said, eggnog. Mm-hmm. So, Nigel, um, do you like eggnog? I do like, like eggnog, eggnog, yeah. I personally do not like oh, egg- really? eggnog, but um, someone in my household does like mm, eggnog. Not mentioning it. <laughs> so uh, I personally do not drink this eggnog, but... Um, Somebody with a high metabolism. It's like 50 million calories yeah. like, per serving. Oh, my God. <laughs> I read something about eggnog. This is like a tangent. But like, if you think about the um, ingredients that go into eggnog, like... It's pretty much like mayonnaise drink. Yeah, yeah. It's like mayonnaise with like <laughs> mayonnaise drink with like nutmeg and mm, like cinnamon. Delicious. So just think about that next time. you're. Yeah. But um, getting back to our challenge, um, we don't just drink like eggnog any time of year, right? Like you don't drink it in like July no. or like Ugh. in the summertime. Uh, it turns my stomach. When you think about, about eggnog, what do you think about? I think about Christmas. Yeah. I think about the holiday season, right? Right. Because it's like a special ritual drink that yeah. we drink at a specific time of year for a specific holiday. Time to indulge, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we think about like past cultures or um, other cultures and other parts of the world. We talk about like ritual mm-hmm. and like these sorts of things. And we think mm-hmm. that we're like beyond that or above it or whatever, but we're not. We also have these like rituals and strange things that we do for different holidays and times of year, right? And so as an archaeologist, we want to look for that. What was the the season of the year that this garbage was thrown out? Mm-hmm. Were people eating different things or drinking different things then? So this is a special ritual drink that people of the, you know, early 21st century would drink in December around mm-hmm. this uh special holiday that goes on then. And even on the top of this bottle, it has the date, used by date, December 26th, 2018, which is excellent for archaeologists because then that helps me date that object, right? If the Native Americans would have bothered to put a used by date on some (laughs) of those oyster shells or, you know. That would have been really thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, and when you're thinking about like archaeological research, especially when we're talking about like pre-contact sites, that's a big research question that archaeologists look at is what we call seasonality or like the time of year that people were living at that site and eating whatever they're eating and like throwing it away. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I I thought that my 
eggnog bottle was an excellent example of that. Excellent. That's an excellent example. Um, my object that I uh, brought for the challenge, I didn't actually bring. Yeah. This Why? podcast is lies. Yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. supposed to bring it. Mine is right here. I wasn't yeah. done tapping it. Yes. Um, and the reason I um, didn't bring mine is because um, I threw it away. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> and the object that I, uh, at least uh, metaphorically, am bringing to the challenge is a um, a disposable baby diaper. Mm. It's disgusting. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's the worst. Um, now. Uh, this wasn't like your personal diaper. Though, it was right? not my oh, personal okay. diaper. Uh, it was our daughter's, our very young daughter. <laughs> She's 15 months. Um, and we typically use washable diapers, reusable diapers. Um, we are a little bit crunchy. Um, but we did for a long period of time use these disposable diapers. And, um, you know, that's one thing that even researchers that are looking into modern landfills are finding a, I mean, an absolutely insane amount of these disposable baby diapers that yeah, are literally forever <laughs> that are entirely made up even the fibers the absorbent fibers in there are entirely made up of plastic yeah. right and so when my daughter was very very young um i mean she was generating a garbage bag full of these things once a week That's and a so <laughs> yeah it's it's a great deal of waste cast into the alachua county landfill um <laughs> she's making her contribution yeah to she's the certainly making her now. contribution you know and i felt guilty i i and i still do when, when when on the occasion when she uses a disposable baby diaper i still feel guilty throwing it away you know because you know we don't need any more information that human beings modern human beings are using disposable baby diapers i don't need to contribute <laughs> to that uh yeah that evidence pile that's um, a lot yeah I guess the reason I'm bringing that to our discussion today is what is that what is that really saying about um, the disposability of our modern objects and what how perplexing is it going to be for future archaeologists to start digging through these things yeah. even you know and like I mentioned there are already archaeologists that are digging through modern landfills because um, as we mentioned in the last podcast that you know technically anything 50 years old or older is considered historic yep. And so um, people are already digging through that stuff. <laughs> yeah, you find a 50-year-old baby diaper, then it's technically an artifact. Right. And you know what's interesting is that a lot of these items also are very uh, specific. You know, they print pictures on them, um, cartoons, uh, there's seasonal ones. We had Halloween ones that somebody gave diaper to seasonality. us. Diaper seasonality. Yeah, diaper <laughs> seasonality. You know, that's something that's that's something that could be examined more. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, our guest for this episode, um, I think she's going to touch on that as well, because her research is on a time period when we start to see that kind of like amount of garbage and things that people generate just going up yeah. um, exponentially yeah. um, in the, you know, eight, the late 1800s. Yeah. Yeah, so um, we are going to move into that segment now. So let's uh, let's go talk to our special guest. Special guest. Got our our guest here in my office that has lots of garbage all around. <laughs> it's horrible. Um, so please introduce yourself. 
All right. Um, I'm Diane Wallman. I'm an assistant professor here at the University of South Florida in the Department of Anthropology. Um, I am a historical archaeologist, uh, so that more or less means that I study um, history after Columbus came across the, the ocean blue. 1492. Columbus, Columbus sailed the ocean Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> It's all right. Um, I made the reference. Um, So, yes, I study the history um, of the broader Atlantic, Southeast Caribbean, and West Africa after 1492-ish. And I focus specifically on the slave trade and Atlantic slavery. So most of my research has been on plantations in the Caribbean, um, the southeastern United States, and a little bit of work on the slave trade in West Africa. Yeah, your research is absolutely fascinating, and I think it's a much-needed kind of facet in, in historical archaeology mm-hmm. that's been neglected for various reasons, including yeah. racism. Yes. Um, but so glad to have you, Thank Dr. You. Wallman. It's really fantastic that mm-hmm. you're here, that you're our special guest um, on The uh, Materialists. Um, why don't you tell us about uh, the very specific kind of research that you were doing at the site in Manatee County? Yeah, so, um, well, kind of this research started because I'm really interested in doing comparative work um, in plantation archaeology. Um, So I've done a lot of research, as I said, in the Caribbean um, and some other plantations in the southeast. Um, And when I came here and I realized that there was sort of this really short-lived but significant period of um, sugar production in the central Gulf Coast, here, there's a few plantations from the late, well, mid, excuse me, mid 19th century. Um, I thought that would be really interesting to kind of look at the Florida sugar industry, 19th century industry, compared to the Caribbean that I had been looking at for so long. And so I, I kind of started reading and saw, oh, there's just, there's Gamble Plantation, which was a sugar plantation, well, established as a sugar plantation in the um, 1840s. Um, by Robert Gamble coming down from middle Florida. Um, and he and his family had some plantations up there um, in Tallahassee. And so he moved down um, Manatee River in the 1940s, as I said, um, with about a dozen slaves and established this plantation and started producing sugar. And I was I became very interested in the question of, okay, what, how is this, how did he do this here? I mean, at the time, you're talking about, you know, not a lot of people living here. God, it's like, yeah, total frontier yeah. area. Yeah. Just nobody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is not many people here. There's, of course, you have this is during, you know, in the midst of the various Seminole Wars um, at the time. So it's during Indian removal on the part of the American government. So they're trying to get the Native Americans out of these areas that they want to move into. Um and ex- exploit for various reasons. Um, and so this was happening during this time as well. So in this area, you have, you know, very little settlement by Americans. Um, you have, you know, some kind of previous slave or maroon settlements. Um, so escaped slaves who had come down from um, America during um, when this, when Florida was still part of Spain and then mm-hmm. Britain. 
Britain, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is just after, so the 1840s just was when Florida became a state, mm-hmm. right? So it's just newly part of America. And so you see basically the same sort of like homesteading movement down in Florida that you were seeing out west. And so I, I just basically found a lot of this history was very fascinating at the site. Okay, what was, what was, how was the sugar plantation organized here compared to other places? How um, was slavery organized, the system here? What was the labor like on these plantations compared mm-hmm. to the Caribbean, et cetera? Um, and so that's why I initially became interested in this site. And then, yeah, so then I had a couple field schools there throughout a couple, two summers, I guess, two field schools um, to kind of look at if we, could, if we could basically find anything. Yeah, what were you <laughs> hoping to, yeah. to kind of find? Well, you know, initially when I went into it, I, I wasn't sure what was encompassed in the state park property. Where mm-hmm. This is now a state park. Um, and so I wasn't sure, you know, what we might be able to look for in terms of the slave village or the slave cabins right. that were there, um, the sugar mill, and then, of course, on the mansion property. So there's still this big antebellum plantation house that still stands on the yeah. property um, that was built by enslaved laborers um, in, the, again, in the 1840s when the plantation was. So, was, yeah, he was. They, they built a small house on the property um, that Gamble, Robert Gamble, lived in but didn't really live there for very long. And then that, once the mansion was built, I think it took about 10 years to construct. Um, and it was out of tabby it's brick. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, almost looks like like a big concrete building, but it's not. It's yeah, this, it's like, tabby. material. So, yeah, tabby is, um, so it's oyster shell of some sort, probably mostly oyster down here. Oyster shell, like lime, um, ash, probably some mud thrown in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who knows? All kind of burnt and mixed together. And it's like a brick. Um, it forms a brick. And then, like, pour it into these yes. molds and yeah. it, like, sets up and yeah. it's like, yeah. You can use it, like, concrete or then mold it into mm-hmm. kind of brick-like things. And so this, it's very common in um, actually the low country of South Carolina and Georgia. Um, it's very, very common for construction and then some parts of Florida as well. Um, it's yeah. different than, like, the coquina you see it in St. Augustine. Mm-hmm. where that's, that's such a natural occurring thing. This is something that people made. Yeah. It's kind of like just this is like sidebar, but like it's kind of crazy that like um, like native peoples were like along the Gulf Coast and in the southeast were like using oyster for their construction for like thousands of years. And then we have like these settlers and like colonists that come here and using the same stuff in a different way to also build their houses and structures and all that. The podcast is not sponsored by the uh, the oyster (laughs) oyster consumers federation in any bid, but please buy oysters. (laughs) Buy Gulf Coast oysters. Well, and the great, well, even more. So they're because they're some of the oysters that they're using for this construction and then later like road fill was coming from the actual mounds right on archaeological sites. So I we found a couple bits of pottery. Oh, crazy. Native um, prehistoric or Native yeah. American pottery on the site on a couple like flakes and stuff um, that I think might have been transported mm-hmm. when they were getting these shells to make the tabby. Wow. Because you know, these are just big sources of shell. Yeah. That's, again, another That's story. another podcast. Sorry. Sorry. About that. All all right. Right. No. no, we're uh, we're, we, we're all for the tangents. Yeah. <laughs> and it adds depth for the audience. Right. Um, so, well, so anyway, that's what I had intended to go in for. Right. And then, I don't know, I, I can continue on how I ended up, or do you have another question? No, no that's good. So, yeah, so we went in, and, and, and when we went in, turns out that there's probably areas of the site 
related to the enslaved laborers at the site are on private property and not accessible or destroyed or various things. And so um, most of what we're able to do, we, we did a little bit about around the mill, but most of what we were able to focus on is actually behind the plantation mansion. So the area is just behind. The- That's like the best place for... Garbage. Stuff and garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so bringing it to uh, those garbage piles, that refuse material that you did encounter as in, in any kind of situation where you're having people live for a long period of time, you're going to find that um, they threw shit away. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. and so in your investigations, what what? What did you find in that refuse? Mm-hmm. Um, we found things that you would expect to find in anyone's trash, right? Our recycle bin. Um, you know, so most of what we were finding was food refuse, um, tablewares, you know, plates that had broken, glasses that had broken, um, a lot of bone, you know, so mm-hmm. again, food refuse, um, tons of glass from bottles, mm-hmm. all sorts of bottles. And we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but basically anything you'd imagine people just throw in their trash today that, that hangs around, right? Um, so a lot of that, a lot of just metal bits and nails, of course, from construction and various things. Um, but we found a lot of material, very dense, dense midden and back behind the mansion there. Um, and incidentally, or not, not surprisingly, most of it was actually from occupations of the mansion that were after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, we found very little material from before the Civil War, some. Um, but there weren't many people living on the site at that time. Right. Um, and it, most of the refuse is probably coming from kitchen, you know, just cooking for the planters, but probably enslaved cooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably some of the ens- enslaved domestic, domestic enslaved workers who are living in the house, um, their refuse as well. So how could you, uh, how can you determine... Um, the material that was being utilized by the enslaved people rather than by the enslavers. Like, mm-hmm. is there a way like that to distinguish between the two? It's, is it location of where the refuse was found? It, theoretically, yes. Like, you know, so that's a hard one. In this type of situation where you have... Um, very smart. Oh, Nigel. I think the microphone yeah. was far away from you, so hopefully we didn't catch that. <laughs> it's okay. Um, it's, a, it's a good question, though, because so in this context, it would be very different. Difficult. You're talking about basically a palimpsest of, of material um, that was deposited for, you know, 10 to 15 years by the planters who lived in the house, the overseers who were living on the property, especially when Gamble was gone because he was a bit of an absentee planter. He was actually gone for a lot of, a lot of the years and a lot of the time. Um, and then you have, of course, the enslaved cooks who are cooking the food and disposing, mm-hmm. you know, whatever they're throwing out, scraps. And, and then you have the enslaved cooks probably living in the back of the house at this time too, right? So whatever domestic refuse they have. So all of that gets mixed in. And it'd be, it'd be pretty hard to determine in this context in Florida any differences. We don't, you know, we don't have Colin Aware or something right. that we might be able to identify um, here that would be different. So it's mostly mass-produced plates and such. Mm-hmm. You know, so it would be difficult to say. But we do know that, you know, the, any this stuff largely, especially cooking kitchen refuse, is representing at least the labor of enslaved peoples in the antebellum time. Um, whether they were consuming it or not, you know, it's hard to say or what was theirs or not. So as far as the animal waste, uh, like the, the food products that you're finding, what was uh, what do you think you found most of as far as like sp- what were they eating? Yeah, so I would say this is where it breaks. I would break it down into uh, 
difference in in the occupations of the site. Um, and what I from what I at this point what I think is the earlier occupations, so potentially antebellum or circumbellum, right around the time of the Civil War, um, when it was actually a different different person living on the site. It's a long history of the site. I don't need to get into it. Um, but who was a, a, an officer of the Confederacy was stationed at the site during the Civil War. Um, so I'd say antebellum circumbellum. It seems like they're eating a, a lot of local wild fauna so we've hmm. we've found a lot of fish various fish um catfish um some mullet catfish jacks mullet <laughs> mullet can't remember what they are right now anyway so some local fish right out of the manti river mm-hmm. like mullet catfish drum oh yeah <laughs> some other guys in there but also we found raccoon possum um uh um Bobcat, uh, Bob White quail, excuse me. Um, so some little, they, we found a lot of bird shot too. Oh, wow. Um, so they were hunting for local birds. Turkey, um, they were hunting for as well. Um, and then some, some, a lot of pork, I would say, in the, the earlier stuff. Um, a little bit of beef as well. Mm-hmm. So when we get into the most of the material culture, though, which is after the war, when the Patton family, their family that moved down from Georgia to, to farm the, the land and to lease or to sell plots of the land off, basically, um, they bought the estate. And when that family was living there, they were consuming a ton of beef, oh, <laughs> like no. a lot of beef, a lot of chicken, a lot more domesticates. There were still fish. And we have some oral histories talking about the fish, how they prepared and consumed the fish at the site, especially mullet and other things. Um, but also turkey. Um, we found some alligator. Oh, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so still some local stuff, but I would say, you know, there was a lot of cattle ranching going on at the mm-hmm. time in Florida in the late, this, is, this would be post-1870, basically. Um, and so we have a lot of cattle farming and ranching going on. Um, so they were clearly eating a lot of beef. Yeah. I mean, that was still going on until like fairly recently right, in that yeah. area. So, yeah. yeah. I saw your talk at the the Southeastern Archaeological right. Conference, yeah. or SEAC, <laughs> as it's known. <laughs> and uh, you talked about some really unique objects that you recovered, like bottles that mm-hmm. came out of there. Mm-hmm. Will you talk about that? Yeah. So one interesting part of when you, when you encounter these middens or um, like trash pits, or in this case, it was actually a privers, privy, <laughs> privy, so a former outhouse um, that, that was... Co- subsequently filled in at some point or that they threw trash into over time um, but that you just find heaps and heaps of garbage in these they're they're like treasure troves for archaeologists um, so you expect to find things like you know you sort of have bottles and and plates and bowls and teacups and glass and bone and all these things that you, again mm-hmm. it would throw out the back right from the kitchen um, but one thing we were finding that I was kind of surprised by were all of these bottles and a lot of one well, alcohol bottles um, and and this That's is right yes yeah. um, and this is at the height of the temperance movement you know leading up what eventually led up to prohibition in the 1920s um, so you have the late 19th century of course Victorian period you have you know focus on on you know not drinking not you know, doing anything bad, um, sinning, as it were, <laughs> you know, <laughs> maintaining purity. Um, but you have, but we still at this site, you know, have tons of alcohol bottles and also tons of med- medicinal bottles. Um, and so I've kind of lumped these into broader category of kind of health and wellness items at the site um, or well-being. Mm-hmm. 
um, which sounds weird. We think about alcohol, you know. But, I mean, sometimes yeah. alcohol is very helpful for my well-being, so I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so, but so at the site, we ended up finding a lot of these, and, you know, this is a kind of a wealthy Victorian family, but the more research I kind of did in to, to the, the time period that we're talking about, and in Florida, it was like, oh, I mean, this, again, this is still a relatively isolated area. There's not a lot coming in or out. Um, and there's not much healthcare access to people yeah. down here. Um, you know, and it's hard life. You know, one of the, the daughter of the, um, well, the son and the, the son and the daughter of the George Patton who first moved into the house in 1890s had triplets that they lost all three, Oh wow! you know, um, well, one within a day, another one in a month, another one in a year. Um, you know, there's a lot, if you look at the, the family burial, there's a lot of young children, young people, you have yellow fever coming through, you have mm-hmm. malaria at the time, you know, all of these kind of really, uh, you know, yeah. scary, um, things. So, you know, it, there was a lot of, there were a lot of threats to people, um, to their, their health at this time. Um, and so, you know, one way to kind of cope with these difficulties and challenges would be to drink, right? And to kind of create a community. And that's what you see here is you see they had parties, you know, community parties in the town where everyone got together and they'd be obviously drinking a lot. Um, you know, at the same time, then going to church on Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but then, and then when we started to research the medicinal or the pharmaceutical bottles that we found, we started to realize like, oh my goodness, it was sort of, these were even like magnifying the alcohol, right? So a lot of them, they might've been treatments. One of them, for example, is a treatment for kidneys, right? Or liver, liver cure. <laughs> Drink right? more alcohol. Yeah, and they're pretty kidneys. much, you know, something like 40% ethanol. Um, one of them, the pain <laughs> celery compound has for, you know, a cure all for all sorts of stuff, nausea and, you know, just makes you feel good. Had hydrochloric acid to soak. Oh my gosh. You know, um, <laughs> Was that the one from Paris, Tennessee? Wasn't there one? That was not. There was one from Paris, Tennessee, and I'm trying to think of which one it was. That might have been the, um, oh, I don't remember which one. Sorry. (laughs) Off the top of my head. My wife's from Paris, Tennessee. Oh, right. Yeah. I should have had that noted. But there's a bunch, there's, but there's a lot of them. There's the, um, the Jake, the, um, Jamaica ginger essence that I played the songs about, but that, um, was basically all alcohol and again was supposed to make your stomach feel better your pain feel better um you know um and you know ended up in the 1920s basically after prohibition they they had to get rid of the alcohol in it or cover it up and so they ended up putting a neurotoxin in it and then yes. causing paralysis <laughs> and death in hundreds of thousands Fantastic. of people yeah <laughs> you know leading to some blues songs so look up jake the jake leg if you ever have a chance right um that'd be a good intro music yeah, we can <laughs> um and so yeah so you know you kind of the story starts to 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 build when you look at these these materials as trash um and that was the biggest surprise to me it was kind of this side of health wellness and hygiene and other things that was happening at the site that we've started to learn through these bottles um so that for me was a big surprise with the the garbage that mm-hmm. we found People who aren't archaeologists, like, okay, well, why are you studying a site that is, like, historic, right? Because we mm-hmm. have, like, documents and that sort of a thing. So, like, what can you possibly learn <laughs> that we don't already know, right? right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. what do you think, what did what did that kind of, what did that garbage, those, you know, trash items reveal maybe about, like, people that we wouldn't yeah. know about? or I Yeah, know, I think so. I mean, I think it's it's those daily 
like lived experiences. And sure, we have a general idea of how Victorian people lived and they consumed a lot, right? It was the kind of birth of American consumerism, right? It was mass production of all this stuff and catalogs become available and people just start buying and buying and buying dishes and plates and tea sets and toys and all this stuff. So the material culture just increases at the time. And we have a general idea of that, but what we don't know is, you know, how, how people were using these or what... What were what were the challenges that people faced every day? Like mm-hmm. I would not have thought about here. You know the fact that they were you know trying to cope and deal and and um, survive. You know the relatively challenging lifestyle um, or life in this isolated place. You know through chemical means. You know <laughs> medicinal means through but through through developing kind of like these traditions um, as well, Mm -hmm. you know, so you see in these parties that they're having and all this stuff. Um, And I think so it's those day to day, those individualized, um, you know, maybe idiosyncratic bits that we don't know that we can learn about, even if it's one family, tells you something about a community. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think it helps us, you know, one of the beautiful parts about archaeology and things, as you guys are materialists here, um, are how they connect us with our past. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when we had people out to the site, and yeah, this stuff's 120 years old. It's not that old, right? Um, some of it. But when you have people out there and the kids and folks digging and they're finding these really cool little bottles or a cool old Coke bottle and they start to connect with that local history, mm-hmm. like that to me is more important than anything. So maybe we're not finding groundbreaking, you know, <laughs> information at every single site, but we're connecting physically with our past and with Absolutely. that history. So I think that's important. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's kind of what it's all about. And as a proud Bradenton, Manatee <laughs> County resident, uh, born and raised, yes. um, I, I have to agree that it is a tough place to live and there are challenges that often end with imbibing in some capacity. <laughs> So they've stayed, they've stayed true. Yeah. That continues to yeah. this day. Um, but I guess that that's, let's wrap it up. And I think that's um, really fantastic. And I thanks, Dr. Wallman, for, for being on The Materialist. Thanks yeah. for, for inviting me, guys. It's we been appreciate a pleasure. It. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> Is this thing on? That was pretty good. Yeah, that was that was cool. Thank you, official thank you to Dr. Diane Wallman for coming on the Materialist podcast uh, to talk about her research and stuff. Yeah, that site is so cool, and I got to go out there a couple times when she was working, and that trash pit that she was talking about, it was huge. Really, it was like four or five feet deep. And just grief. full of stuff. Yeah, it was like if a hoarder from like Victorian times like <laughs> put all their stuff in a hole behind their house. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty cool. So that's really wrapping up our uh, this episode, episode two. Yeah, in bon the Voyage in the yeah. books. Um, uh, big thanks to FPAN Central and FPAN West Central, which is us. Yeah, that is Correct. us. Yep. Also, you know, big Shout out to uh, USF Department of Anthropology and Dr. Wallman yeah, again big, for coming yeah, big out. Big props to Dr. Wallman for coming out. To and my office. To, yeah, <laughs> right, right, just down the hall. Which is literally one floor up from where her <laughs> office is. <laughs> um, so we're be coming at you with episode three um, here before too long. Um, so thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, please like the 
like the uh, the podcast and share it if you like it. Of course, don't share it if you yeah, don't do like we, it. Yeah, don't share it. If yeah, you don't just like it. throw it in the garbage. Uh, don't throw it in the garbage. Yeah. Um, big thanks to um, Have Gun Will Travel for allowing us to use their song uh, "Silver in the Age of Opulence." They have um, a new album coming out. Soon. I do have a new album yeah. coming out. Check them out. Mad they're, props they're to really Have good. Gun Will Travel, Bradenton Band. Gamble Mansion is in Manatee County. <laughs> All comes full circle. But thanks, guys. Bye. And girls. Yeah, guys and girls. Bye. And everyone. Bye. <laughs> I woke up this morning. I couldn't get out of my bed. This stuff they call Jake Black had me nearly dead. It was a Jake Black too. It was a Jake Black too.